Okay. It's a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics, and we've got an awesome celebration for our 200th episode. We're celebrating a whole new comic universe with Catalyst Prime from Lion Forge Comics, and we've got three amazing guests to discuss it. Um, Going to try to go through as quick as possible, but before I introduce our guests, I want to welcome my co-host, Alana. How are you doing? 200 episodes. I want to thank all of our fans who helped make this happen. And I think that our guests tonight are really the perfect people for a 200th episode for graphic policy because they really represent, I think, what this show is all about. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right. So we've got three guests, as I said. Uh, Joe Illich, he's a public speaker on subjects of race, comics, corporate politics of diversity. Uh, he is uh, the senior editorial manager for Lion Forge Comics, uh, a previous guest of the show. Uh, welcome back to him. We've got uh, Desiree Rodriguez, uh, who's a pop culture critic uh, who's written for Women Write About Comics, Nerds of Colors, co-host for DC TV Classics Podcast, among other things, uh, editorial assistant for Lion Forge's Catalyst Prime Initiative, and last but not least, a comics legend, Christopher Priest, who's written for Marvel, DC, Valiant, more. I mean, he is, I want to say a legend. He is absolutely a legend. He's part of the group of creators who launched Milestone Medium. And along with Illich, uh, he oversees the Catalyst Prime line of comics. Thank you all for coming and helping us celebrate 200 episodes. Thank Hi, you for having us. Yeah, Christopher, well, welcome. Thank oh, you for, okay. for. Great. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm on a cranky cell phone, so if I lose you, I'll just call you right back, all right? I, I know what to look for now, okay. so yes, we're, we're good to go with that. Yes, perfect. Okay. Yeah, now it's a party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, so I really like, have been saying this is like the most ambitious yeah. thing that's happened in comics in an incredibly long time. And I just want to hear from Joseph, how did Lion Forge decide it was going to launch a whole new superhero universe? Wow. Um, well, so it's tricky. The Catalyst Prime universe actually was conceived by uh, David Stewart II, who's the managing member and CEO of Lion Forge, Carl Reed, who's the chief creative officer, and a group of select people that they got together. And they basically came up with the nucleus of what Catalyst Prime is. And when I was talking to Jeff Gerber, who's the president of Lion Forge, this was during, I'd say, late 2015, because I was doing some freelance editing for them. And when Jeff Gerber became the president, we started a conversation about me coming on as staff. And my primary responsibility as a senior editor would be basically taking over the Catalyst Prime project. So that would be taking something in a very embryonic state and bringing together the right team of creators to really turn it into a formidable universe. Because, I mean, you know, this is graphic policy, so we're not going to, like, pull any punches. Like, you can imagine that a bunch of people, you know, were like, what are you, crazy? That's suicide. You can't 
launch a superhero universe, Marvel and DC rule the superhero genre. And I'm not a fan of the word impossible. So that right there is like, now I'm really going to do it. <laughs> you telling me we can't do it? I am now full guns blazing and I am going to do it. Right? Because, I mean, revolution hasn't occurred because people listen to the doubts of other people, right? So you have to have some guts and you have to recognize that no genre in literature can be solely controlled by two companies. That's ridiculous in any medium. So, you know, I took that on and for me, quite frankly, it was um, the thematic continuation of um, the beginning of my career at Milestone Media, which was my first experience in seeing um, a business in this industry um, run by people of color and creating a fictional world in which the demographics and the percentages of the population more closely paralleled our own than in any other um, similar universe in the same genre. So I really said to myself, okay, you know, it's going to start with the writers. That's, you know, where it was going to begin. So in doing that, I realized that, okay, these are all new characters that we're going to ask people to introduce themselves to with their wallets and engage their stories and hopefully become captivated by them. So I know that that's a big hurdle. So to me, what was necessary was to get creators that the fans would be familiar with because those creators were meant to be the ambassadors, right? So basically they're kind of metaphorically taking your hand and saying, okay, walk with me into the Catalyst Prime universe. You can trust me. I've been there for you for years. I've written this. I've written that. You know me. Let's go, right? That's, that's someone that you can trust. So I chose people who I felt would be proper ambassadors to the fans. And I guess we can now segue to Priest because I ambushed him at San Diego Comic-Con. Last year. <laughs> that, was actually, you know. that was actually going to be my question was how, how you came on board and I, I, I can't wait to hear this story well it's not much of a story I I, 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 uh, I was invited to San Diego uh, for the first time ever and uh, uh, I just I, I really didn't want to go but I I, I, I got talked into going because uh, they're planning to do something to celebrate uh, the Black Panthers 25th anniversary and uh, then when I got there, I found out that they were not going to do anything with Black Panther. And uh, I said, "Well, why am I here?" So anyway, I was at San Diego, and, and what a what a what a interesting experience that was. It was really overwhelming, and there were just all these people who were introducing themselves to me, or you know, that I'm bumping into. And uh, one of them happened to be Joe Illich. Now I, I did not know Joe, but I knew the name from Milestone and from DC. Uh, and then he had uh, uh, Hannibal, whose last name I keep forgetting. Hannibal so, Taboo. 
Taboo, yes. Said yeah, Hannibal with yeah. As well, you know. So uh, the three of us just kind of, like, started hanging around along with my escort from the uh, convention uh, uh, <laughs> who just sat in on everything we were talking about. And Frank, and, and, and I'm grateful that, you know, he didn't spill any of it to the press. Uh, but that's basically how Joe and I met. And uh, and then Joe started talking very vaguely about some plans he had and uh, let's stay in touch and, you know, let's talk about, uh, you know, what the future will bring. And that eventually turned into the Catalyst Prime uh, project. Nice. That's really great. Uh, I can tell you that for me, like, as a, re- as, as a, as a reader, it was definitely – hearing the names of creative talent that were going to be in series that made me say, okay, this is real. This could work. I believe this can be an amazing uh, comic series and not just, I mean, you know, people have tried before, but uh, not with, not with this, not with this lineup and in this way before. So sorry, Brett, I know your next question and I will let you do that. Uh, I was going to say, was that the 2016 San Diego Comic-Con that you're talking about? Uh, yeah. What year is this? Yeah. It was 2016, wasn't it? It was last year. Yeah, it was a 2016 yeah. one because Priest was on a panel um, where he basically controlled the room, and then he started talking about Zero, which was a really revolutionary DC series he wrote in the late 90s and one of my favorites. So I think I started asking him questions about that, and then – I went up and spoke to him afterwards, and that began the discussions that he's talking about. But, yeah, it was at the 2016 San Diego Comic-Con. So we're almost at the one-year anniversary. Exactly, yeah. I actually got to interview you at that San Diego. I didn't realize that was, like, your first one um, that you got to go to, and you completely threw me off. I think that was one of my favorite interviews that I did that entire year. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that – it wasn't my first one. I had gone oh. to San Diego, oh, about 23 years ago, but mm, it was a okay. much smaller event, and it wasn't nearly as chaotic as it is. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. San Diego is just mind-blowing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think that's actually an understatement as to how crazy and mind-blowing it is. Um, for uh, Desiree, how, like, how did you come on board on everything, and, and what do you actually do as your role for the for the company and the, the line? Um, oh, it's my turn. I'm sorry. I'm just, I was so fascinated by what you know, Priest <laughs> and Joe were saying. They're so articulate. I'm just like, I wish I had the thesaurus of vocabulary that Joe has. I really do. Um, You're killing me because uh, have you read your, have you read your columns? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> like your columns. <laughs> stop, stop. You're killing me. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm more articulate, like on, computer in front of me than I am speaking. Um, actually, I, I had met, well, me and Joe had actually never met until I went to New York Comic Con, like in person, until I went to New York Comic Con last year. Um, but we knew each other, you know, online and, and like through Twitter and such. And, uh, and Joe always told me, he's like, we need to have a Batman talk. You know, we have to talk about Batman because I, I love Robin, Tim Drake's, you know, my, my character, my baby. Um, so he, he called me up one day. And, uh, you know, he was like, you know, do you have time to talk? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. And I thought he just wanted to talk about Batman, you know. So I'm, like, pulling out my comics out of my, you know, boxes and stuff. I'm like, all right, let's do this. I'm ready. Um, And then he actually calls me, and 
you know, like he starts talking about, you know, what I want to do in comics and, you know, what my goals were. And I'm, I'm such a greedy person. I'm like, I want to do everything. Like I want to be a part of the entire creative process. You know, I want to write, I want to edit, like I want to be there from the get go and build things with people, you know, new and exciting things for comics because comics have so much potential and, you know, you're not, you're seeing that in small places, but you know, there's just not that focus. Um, so, and then he starts talking about like Lion Forge and Catalyst Prime. And he had asked me if like, I would be interested in like a, a editorial assistant position. And I don't, I don't know what I said to him. I, I like internally, I know I was like freaking out. Like I was squealing. Um, externally, I hope I was more professional and articulate, but I honestly can't remember cause I was just so overwhelmed. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, we, we got to talking and I had to go through, you know, some um, other interviews and such. And uh, I think there was like a two or three week period where I didn't hear anything. So I was just like, you know, yeah, I didn't get it. It's, it's all cool. You know, I was completely okay with that. And then Joe called me later after like that, that little gap. And he was like, you know, you got the job. And uh, I called my mamita like right after and I was like, Mamita, I got that job at Lion Forge for Kellis Prime for comic books and stuff. And she was like, Jeppa, I don't know what any of that means, but I'm happy for you. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, Mommy. <laughs> like, that's all that matters. Um, that's, a classic mom, that's a classic mother response. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. She was like, she was like, Jeppa, I don't know what, what you're talking about, but I'm so happy for you. Like, she doesn't read comic books. Like, I don't think she's even seen an MCU movie. Um but yeah, and so what I basically do is I help Joe with anything he asks me to do. Um, that's that's usually what I tell you. I'm like I try to help Joe and make his life as easy as possible. Um, so you know, lots of scheduling, lots of I've mastered Excel sheets. I, I've grown to love charts. Um, you know, we talk about talent, we talk about art, we talk about you know scripts. We go through all that stuff. I'm learning so much every time I, I work with Joe and. You know, our Monday talks are always exciting. Our Friday end of the week talks are always great. I always feel just really excited to be a part of this this new universe because um, Milestone meant so much to me growing up. Like if anybody's listened to the DC TV classic podcast that I've done with uh, Keith Chow and, and Brittany Monet, um, I've talked about and you know, what Milestone. Yeah, just like Static Shock and Milestone, all that stuff. Like that was so uh, formative. So being a part of something like that from like the ground up has just been, I'm very, very blessed and I'm very, very grateful for it. I'm going to stop now because I'll just keep rambling with my squeaky voice. Yeah. I mean, I could add a little to Desiree's story from my perspective because, you know, we've been talking for a while on Twitter, like she said, but the, the moment of change for me was when she wrote this article on Latinx culture and a lot of society's misconceptions about that, how that's defined and how it's generalized. And I had written a column for Comic Book Resources a year previous on um, the Latina superheroes of Marvel and DC Comics. But when I read her article, it just really took me back and it really made me understand how much I did not know. And I realized that a mind that astute um, needed to be on this side of the equation. 
needed to be here to um, make an, to have an impact, to have influence in, you know, this genre and the fiction. And, you know, to kind of go into some detail about some of the things that Desiree does, she's a major advocate for consistency of cultural characterization. And that goes to um, color charts so that we have consistency in the skin color, hair color, and eye color of all of our characters. It's making sure that we don't just say, oh, that person is Latino. No, where are they from? Are they from Mexico? Are they from Puerto Rico? Where are they from? Do we have too many Mexicans in the universe? Okay, let's, let's just chill out here. We need to expand on this. Um, and, you know, when we have our, our Monday morning calls are basically like warm-ups for the week. Um, our Friday morning or Friday evening discussions usually involve um, me saying, okay, Des, what would you like to talk about? And then Des says, okay, I have a list. And then I fasten my seatbelt and I say, okay, what are you going to teach me today? And so, you know, and that happens. And so, for example, I remember one time, you know, we talked about, um, um, I don't remember the exact term for it. I think it was same body syndrome. Is that what it is, Des? Oh, the same face syndrome. Same face syndrome, right? Um, and just something like that. You know, um, my fiancé is a feminist Buddhist, so Des would tell me stuff, and then I would tell her stuff, and she'd be like, yeah, that's amazing. That's happening in comic books, right? And it really just makes you think, like, something like that, as simple as that, um, you realize that there's this basic characterization of women in comics that is pretty... Um, one-dimensional. And so something that we have endeavored to do in the Catalyst Prime universe is make sure that we're looking at different body types. And that came from a Friday conversation, and, you know, it just reminded me, okay, we're going to be more vigilant on that. So when we deal with our artists and we're dealing with character designs, Desiree is there in the conversation, and it's really helpful and informative, and I feel like it's necessary for this industry, and if I look at a lot of the books that are coming out, I feel like such a perspective is devoid at other publishers, uh-huh. and we can do better. Woohoo! You guys are really, you know, like singing our tune. I, I, I frequently have pointed out, you know, when comics have uh, inconsistent portrayal of characters, uh, race and stuff like that, which generally trends toward the character getting whiter and whiter over time, um, and how that's a problem. And I, 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 you know, doing these sorts of sheets and like making sure that it's part of how everyone is intentionally thinking about the characters is so great. Like you guys are applying all the lessons that you know, fans have been, have been really, not, I don't just mean fans, but like really people in the critical space, you know, have been, have been raising and I, I could not be more excited. I mean, one of the things that I, I thought was such a cool illustration was that 
somebody had asked you that you would you had a tweet Joseph saying like check out Lionforge where the Latino guy isn't the sidekick he's the speedster on the team and somebody asked oh well what kind of a Latino and you're like he's a second generation Mexican American and I was like yes because you actually <laughs> thought about this and done the real world building so that's that it brings me to my second question which is what you guys because you're completely building a world from scratch like. How did you decide the different nationalities? And because you definitely have a way more global as well as multinational, uh, multinational, multi-ethnic, and diverse breakup of who the team is. I mean, I, I immediately fell in love with the fact that the character who you might kill me for describing her this way, but I think that fans would probably understand what I meant by me describing this way. Your your world's Tony Stark type character is a is a Latina. She's like from Chiapas, Mexico, and your sci-fi story is like based out of Chiapas, Mexico. That's yep. amazing. Yep. So like how did you yeah, yeah. specifically like who's where and what? Yeah, wow. that was my so, idea. That was my idea, yeah. Chiapas. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, 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 Priest Priest made like some major, and I mean major contributions to the characterization of Lorena Pion and her importance in the Catalyst Prime universe. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, you know, you compared her to Tony Stark, and as far as I'm concerned, Lorena Pion could bitch slap Tony Stark, because <laughs> Lorena, Lorena, Lorena Pion is not an alcoholic. Lorena Pion is very self-aware, and, you know, I mean, she, like, when you look at someone like Stark, right, and, and I'm a fan of Iron Man, but you know, Stark came from privilege, and Lorena Pion did not. You know, her origin was um, revealed to some degree in the Catalyst Prime, the event one shot. You know, you're talking about a woman who lost her father, her mother, her brother, and was left alone to take on a company that the patriarchal power forces of Mexico wanted to take from her. Uh-huh. And, how she, and how she managed to persevere against that is a story we're going to tell one day. But, um, and I might be reading between the lines, but it sounded like her family was in part maybe killed by state-sponsored violence. Maybe. Maybe um, you can't answer that. But that was something well, that I kind of read in Well, head. yeah, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of interesting. What, what happened for her was, like, you know, her mother died when she was very young. Her father had become somewhat wealthy based off of um, his business interest in Mexico, and he moved to America, and he took his kids with him, and they created what was Foresight. The first Foresight was in America, and it was basically, like, the story of, you know, the immigrant coming to America and starting something in America, right? And... When the, and when the father died, the children decided to take it back home. And by doing that, they totally changed the dynamic because they took this powerful company, they took it back home, and then suddenly they gave a bunch of Mexicans jobs. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have all these Mexicans now coming to America because they can't get jobs at home. Like, there's this big corporation, which is global, and it wants to give its people work. So by doing that, they changed, they changed a world dynamic, right? 
And when the brother was killed, because the brother went into politics, because he was trying to clean Mexico up from the drug cartels and the corrupt police and the corrupt military, and he got killed. And so you kind of have this circular story about this family and a dream that leaves a home and comes back. And, you know, so Lorena has suffered loss. Um, and, that's, and that's part of the gravitas we wanted to give her because she kind of reminds me of Oprah Winfrey in that way. It's like, it, it seems like Oprah Winfrey wants to be a mother of the world. She doesn't mm. want to have any kids, but she wants to be a mother of the world. So Lorena sees herself in that way. And, you know, starting the story out in Chiapas was important for that reason. Um, and, you know, when Priest and I were doing the script, you know, we really, we, we really had a lot of talks about how it was going to be framed, and he really came up with the superstructure for it. And to his credit, he came up with the twist of Catalyst Prime, the mm. event. And I remember when we were talking on the phone and he said it. And he said it and he was laughing diabolically. And um, <laughs> you remember that, right? You were laughing. You said, what if blah, 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 blah. And I was just like. Yeah, but that was my, but that was my regular laugh. That wasn't my diabolical. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> I just remember you said that. And I was like silent for a few seconds. And then I said, keep going. Like, keep going with that. And then once we thought about, oh, what that means and why, it's like, oh, man, let's go. And then that started to inform a bunch of other things. So, you know, that's I'm really, I'm really proud of that book um, as a way to start off the universe. And going into, um, you know, what Desiree contributed to that book, we were dealing with two different artists, um, Marco Torini in Italy and Will Rosado here in New York. And one thing that we believe in is like comprehensive research materials because you know what I hate? I hate when all women's – well, one of the things I hate because it's probably like 25 things that I hate. I hate when <laughs> all the women's fashions are the same ass boring bought off the rack at JCPenney fashion. I hate – hate, mm-hmm. hate that. So, like, you know, I, De, Des basically developed, like, the ultimate Lorena Pion reference guide. And we gave that to our artists, and we give that to our writers, and I just gave that to a colorist today because he got her complexion wrong, and he gave her this boring color for a business suit, and her nails weren't painted. I was like, this woman is a billionaire. She is going to represent herself with impeccable taste. Here is the PowerPoint reference guide. Please redo this page, right? Because uh-huh. that kind of characterization must be consistent. You know, so I'm, that was a book that I was really proud of and Priest really brought a lot to it. I remember when we were at the writer's retreat before writing that book, and we started really digging into, well, what Lorena Pion would have to accomplish to deal with the forces that are going to try and take the company from her. And like I said, we're going to get there, and it's going to be really good. But um, 
Yeah, she's, she, I think, is an indicator of how Catalyst Prime is going to be different from other superhero <laughs> universes. Well, if I can jump in here, uh, first of all, let me just wind it back a little bit. You know, uh, at the writers' retreat, there were uh, plenty of, of, of very talented, very thoughtful uh, writers in the room. Um, I was kind of brought in to be kind of a fly on the wall or creative consultant, but uh, then there was a, 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 a big problem with the with the hotel um, that. Uh, uh, you going to really tell the hotel me. story? Yeah, that really irritated the heck out of me. And, and okay, I okay. Because, because, okay, tell the hotel story. Well, it's, it's not really much of a story. It's just that the hotel, the, the, the clerk at the hotel, for some reason, she rang up everybody's room on my credit card and maxed it out. And I had, you know, a lot of business to do in, 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 in L.A. And, you know, I'm, I'm arguing with the credit card company. I'm arguing with the hotel. And, I'm, and it's just so stupid you know, that you can't get this resolved. And uh, I just kind of flipped out and, and, and uh, you know, and, uh, and and left the building. Uh, so uh, once, I start, once I got camped out at a friend's house in L.A., uh, I came back and uh, kind of jumped back in. But, you know, uh, the, thing, the, point of, the point of the hotel story is that uh, these guys did all the heavy lifting. You know, by the time that I was, you know, Engaged where I wasn't just fuming over the hotel thing. Once I was focused on what they were doing, uh, most of the major pieces had always already been there, uh, were already in place, and uh, the difference that made was that, you know, uh, it, it, it's actually easier to uh, uh, to zero in on what's missing or what can or what value can be added when you know you're coming in fresh. So I had I had missed part of the summit, or I had missed part of the for, formative discussion that they had had. But by the time I came in, I was like, "Well, this is all really good." But what if you, what if you put the cow on the moon? Oh yes, cow on moon. We see it now. It's much easier to see it when you're not right in the middle of all this stuff. So you know, being sort of a pseudo outsider uh, actually helps. So we should actually send a thank you note to the hotel for screwing up my credit card. Okay, so we're gonna send a thank you note to them for that, and and thus giving and thus giving you the opportunity to kind of like come out of the sky in Act Three of the movie and just like drop the mic, <laughs> like you did. That's basically what you did. It's just like it's just like I'm gonna geek out. It's just like in DC Comics, the Golden Age, which was that alternate reality version of the Justice Society, and it's basically yeah. like. How Alan Scott Green Lantern would like not become Green Lantern again for like three out of four issues, and then in the fourth issue, in the big story with like Adolf Hitler's brain in like this superhero's body, and like suddenly Green Lantern comes out and he's glowing and he's fully floating in the sky, and he says something like, "You know, your day ends now, villain." That was Priest. <laughs> like Priest is basically like wow. Alan Scott coming out of the sky <laughs> and half saving the Justice Society of America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, oh I my doubt god. That. No, I believe it. I mean, I was just gonna say, like, I felt that there was definitely um, as someone who's been reading Deathstroke quite religiously. Like, I definitely felt like 
there's something quite priest about the way the world is framed in terms of, like, I don't know, this is the patter and a certain amount of the tone. And I, 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 I don't want to give certain things away, though. God willing, everyone's picked up this free comic book day special. Because you guys, like, you can get it for free on the Internet, right? Even if somebody's store sold out, my store sold out. Um, you it's, you know, it's something, it's something that's being discussed in terms of a way to get it to the people who haven't gotten it yet. And it's, and it's, you know, we put enough copies out there. We wanted everyone to have it in part so we wouldn't have to dance around certain things during this <laughs> yeah. discussion. You know, we could, I mean, should we just engage it? Should we just talk about it and... What do you think? Uh, no, I, mean, I think it's too soon. No. Okay, Obi Wan, we're yeah. not going to talk. People about should it. just call up my comic shop because we still have loads of copies at my comic shop. Like, and we should. <laughs> All right, <laughs> um, we're going to drop that. Drop mountain. that in for the end of the interview. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so I was just going to say, though, I definitely question it. I mean, you're someone who's worked in the industry. Like, the reason why people are having a conversation today about how much we care about Black Panther is because you made everybody care about Black Panther. Um, and I guess I want to just sort of ask, like, what are, the, were there, are there specific lessons that you wanted to bring to this? Because, you know, you had left comics and done other things and have recently, just recently come back. And, in fact, you know, like two different publishers than the ones you've been really working with before. Um, so you've, you've come back from a period of exodus, perhaps, or exile, not exodus. That's ridiculous. Exile. And this feels like this is, you know, like we're learning, we're, we're getting the uh, message that you've come to, to bring back and deliver to us. And I, I would sort of love to hear, like, what are the things that you're trying to do in comics now that you weren't able to do at the earlier time or that you're, like, really committed to making sure can happen now that you're back. Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, uh, you know, it's important to remember that when I was actually writing the Black Panther, nobody was buying it. I mean, I would say nobody. Obviously, somebody bought it, but, you know, it, it was a very poor selling book that was always in danger of being canceled. And uh, although it got critical acclaim and, and it was well-reviewed, uh, much like Deathstroke, which is also well reviewed and, and and not selling the way the way it really needs to, um, uh, Panther was selling pretty poorly. I mean, you know, we couldn't give it away. So it just amazes me that somehow between those years and this years, that that run has gained in popularity. So it feels like Star Trek, where where we become more popular in reruns than we ever were when we were mm. actually uh, doing that book. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have any particularly philosophical, uh, perspective, except to say that, uh, my desire and my approach to the heroic world, including Catalyst Prime, uh, is to ground it in as much reality as possible, you know, and if you give me these suppositions, like here is a, uh, here is a, a, a supervillain, who has who has this who is a dysfunctional father? He is the head of this dysfunctional family, and you know, and and there are these dynamics that go on there. Well, then I want to say, well, how 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 far can we drill down with that and make that real, as opposed to, you know, just taking the sort of 
standard sort of cursory surface approach where it's all about Deathstroke and, and fighting, you know, the latest uh, supervillains or, or Deathstroke concocting the latest, you know, macabre plan to, you know, take over the city or take over the earth or whatever the story is. You know, I'd rather just get down into the character and into the person and, and, and write him as realistically, like, what if this guy was actually walking around? You know, what what would this guy mm-hmm. be like? Um, with Catalyst Prime, it was a lot less, it was much easier to, 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 to handle that because their whole world is grounded in reality. And uh, the, the, the suppositions that they take are all kind of reality-based. What if this happened? What if that happened in, in real life? You know, how would these things come to pass? So uh, what I find, uh, I don't read a lot of comic books, but, but you know, the few that I do or the few that I am privy to or shown, I have a friend who's constantly showing me, you know, comic books and I'm, I'm kind of reading through them. Uh, a lot of superhero comics are still written, with no offense, but they're written in a very fan based approach and it's all kind of larger than life and everybody knows everybody's secret identity and all the heroes like each other and the average man on the street he sees you know Batman swinging across whatever and he goes hello Batman and he's happy to see Batman protecting Gotham City well that's just not realistic you know in the real world you know you see Batman you know you call the cops or you take a shot at him what the hell is that you know, I mean, I, I tend to come at it from a different perspective. And uh, and I don't, a lot of the comics that I'm seeing, and no offense with all due respect to the other writers, you know, uh, they don't really speak to me. They come across very juvenile and uh, uh, too fantastic. And it's just, it, I need to make the world as real as possible for me. So when the superheroic, when the, when the fantastical part jumps off, it pops out of that reality. If everything is larger than life, then nothing pops, and it's all just, you know, a Jim Carrey movie. It's all just very silly. So, you know, if anything, that's kind of the approach I would take in in, in anything that I was writing. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like Neil Adams. When Neil Adams broke into, this, broke into the scene in the 70s, you know, he started drawing everything in a very photorealistic style, which was, exciting and new and different and we hadn't seen that before and with all due respect to Carmine Infantino and you know Irv Novick and all these other greats who you know including Jack Kirby and John Romita you know who were drawing cartoons you know Neil was drawing photographs he was he was a precursor to uh now his name escapes me the painter the the famous painter at Marvel that does all that stuff Alex Ross Alex Ross, that does all yeah. the photorealism. So I, I tend to think of myself as writing in the same vein as Neil was doing photorealism in, in artwork. I try to bring that same sensibility that Denny O'Neill and Frank Miller and, and, and people like that, where they really grounded Daredevil and Batman and things like that. Um, and that's kind of the, the tack I take because that's the kind of comics that I want to read. And that's, you know, that really speaks to um, why I reached out to Priest for Catalyst Prime because Catalyst Prime is, is grounded um, in science, how science impacts our lives profoundly, 
And when you're talking about character motivations, um, I'll give a shout out to a friend of mine, Brian Edward Hill, who's the writer of Postal for Top Cow. We've known each other for years, and he said something to me, and I never forgot it. He said, everyone is the hero of their own story, right? And when you think about that, when you think about, like, you know, how Priest characterizes Slade Wilson, when you think about Lorena Payan, you know, these are people who can get up in the morning and look at themselves, and they're totally comfortable with who they are and where they fit in the societal ecosystem. So, you know, Lorena is particularly complex, and it had to be informed by that kind of a perspective, you know. So that, to me, I feel like is really part of the, the difference with our universe and I think it's what's going to make it really stand out as distinctive, that it's going to deal with um, more, more grounded relationships between people and forces in society and characters who are a bit more complex. Because, you know, I was a Batman editor at another part in my career in, now, I can't read a Batman comic with the Joker. Like, you know, I'm serious, because I just can't purchase uh-huh. the idea anymore that the Joker lives. <laughs> the Joker is a freaking mass murderer of historical levels. And even if the Batman wouldn't kill him, and Batman wouldn't kill him, because his father was a doctor, his mother was a social worker, he believes life is sacred. Okay, the world courts would kill that bastard. Yeah. He killed Saddam Hussein, the Joker would get killed. And here's the thing about the Joker getting killed. If you kill the Joker, there will be another Joker. Because the Joker is such a primal force in society that you kill him and someone else will put on the white makeup and the red lipstick and the purple suit and they will become that necessary chaotic force in the universe. So the Joker is an intellectual property could continue. But the idea that the single person who represents this chaotic force in the DC universe continues to live after just killing and 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 killing is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But that's also part of the that's also part of the conceit of comics, though. It's kind of a necessary conceit because you can't kill off the Joker because he makes too much money for the company. Right. You right. You can't kill the Joker. As the as the intellectual property, as the as the person who is going to plague Bruce and his family and try to convince the world, um, illuminate the world to its own hypocrisy. But an individual can die, and another individual can become that person, and that person can die, and another person can come become that person. So it's like. Yeah, I just can't buy that anymore, and I don't care who you get to write it. You get the best writer to write it, and I'm like, Joker's still alive? Yeah, okay. Oh, no, they don't let me write the Joker. I'm not important enough to write that. I, I never get to handle Lex Luthor or Joker or anybody really important. No, no, that's never going to happen. Ah, ah. You got, you got to put Superman in Deathstroke. I what? 
You got to put Superman in Deathstroke. Yeah, but but I had to fight to do that, and it was it wasn't pretty. Believe me. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so your your issue with Damian and Batman and Deathstroke was fabulous. Yeah, so it was fabulous. A, I love that issue. And I think yeah, and I think when you you actually illuminated yourself like why do we, why do we like you writing it? I'm incredibly picky about reading comics where villains are the protagonists. Um, I. I'm fascinated by those, but so many comics or villains of the protagonist absolutely end up glamorizing them in ways that might be cute if you're like a 15-year-old, but I don't find yeah. it cute as an adult who like interacts with the world and sees how like evil is enacted on people. And you, rev- you, you write Deathstroke, and I always, I always joke about this on the podcast, it's the worst dad in the world. And he doesn't think he is, obviously. He thinks he's doing what he has to do, but you're able to simultaneously have him be a believable person who wakes up in the morning and knows like, this is my life and is the hero of his own story without making us think that he's the hero in his own story and without watering him down or without but, making him but, glamorous. It's, it's, it's hard as hell. But that's, that's the challenge though, because uh, mm-hmm. I often have to keep reminding DC, like I have to send them little memos every now and then and go, okay, reminder, Deathstroke, is a villain because uh, I would get occasional because because I I, yeah, I would get yeah, I would no. get notes I would I would get notes it's like you know you know wow he's being so mean to his kids and I go villain you know and, and, oh wow he's he's being a real oh, jerk you know, villain you know I have to keep reminding them that I, <laughs> yeah. this guy he's not Superman and just because his he has his name on the title of the comic book there's an expectation there's two things that happen with with, with comic book editors okay. One is that they become overprotective of the character, you know, where they don't let they round the corners off reality and don't let the character experience anything because they're fans. And I tell the editors, look, you have to decide right now which is going to be. Are you going to be a fan or are you going to be a professional? Okay, because the fan is always going to want to have a happy ending and have their, their characters protected. Okay, and then uh, uh, the the other thing. Um, uh, you know, particularly with a you know with a character like Deathstroke, is, is that you know uh, you're going to have to you know accept the fact that he's a despicable guy uh, who usually gets his comeuppance, but his comeuppance is not like somebody comes and punches him out. Okay, Superman punched him out, but nine times out of ten, Deathstroke's comeuppance is just you know the misery that he sows in his own life because he can't help himself. Now with, with Catalyst. What really impresses me was Joe's willingness to let, you know, let's take Lorena, for example, to let a character be complex, to let her be seen in in not so great a light. He's not overly protective of her, and we were able to uh, create a very complex character who is both a hero and a villain at the same time. And and that's something that's, that's a tricky line to walk, um, uh, but at the, you know, but at the mm-hmm. major companies a lot, it's just, you know, uh, especially with Deathstroke, at least for the first year, it was an uphill climb getting some of that stuff in print because they were like, he's being so mean. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> I want to thank you. No, no, for real, dude. I want to thank you because when people first heard that there was going to be a new Deathstroke series, a lot of critics who've spoken out about the way rape is handled in comics were saying, how the hell are they going to have a Deathstroke lead in the comic? That man literally raped Tara, and nobody acts like it's a real thing. And I said, if anybody else was writing this, I'd be with you. But Christopher Priest knows <laughs> that Deathstroke <laughs> raped Tara. 
and he knows that that's fucked up, and that will be reflected. Like he actually understands the weight of those things. So that's why when somebody, and then when you're doing this new, more, more team-oriented Deathstroke book, they're like, I don't want Deathstroke to be around these young female characters. And I'm just like, that's right. Christopher Priest knows that. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, that, well, I, you I appreciate actually, that. Like, we're not saying you can't do these things. We're saying you have to take them seriously. And you do. Well, I think you just have to drill down in these, in these type of characters. But the, the one thing that I was happiest about with Deathstroke was uh, the, the, the Superman issue. That was all about why Deathstroke is allowed to walk around. Because I felt like we had to tell that story in order for the series to have any credibility. So Superman outsmarts Deathstroke, punches him in the head, punches him out, and hands him over to the authorities. And they don't know what to do with him. Because why? Because they can't convict him. So uh, 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 the hero, and this uh, has universal applications and can work in Catalyst Prime too, the hero is confounded by his own heroism. Now, he could, A, lock him up in Guantanamo Bay and, you know, without charges and deprive him of his civil rights and, and, and just keep him locked up. B, he could kill him. Or C, in order to be a hero, you know, like like Deathstroke walking around free is the price we pay for justice. There's, there's a difference between justice and vigilantism. Vigilantism, you kill him, you lock him up. Justice is he's you know he's run through the criminal justice system, and Deathstroke has more lawyers than you know than Firestone has tires. I mean, he you know <laughs> it's impossible to convict the guy. Um, so that's that's our uh, our plausible explanation for how a character like this can exist in perpetuity, you know, unlike, say, the Joker, the, the point that, that Joe was making earlier with the Joker. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the kind of, like, realism stuff that, you know, and every issue was a fight until recently. I think they're starting to get it now. I'm getting fewer of those kind of bonehead notes, you know, um, <laughs> on the character because I think they're starting to get, oh, I, we see what you're doing now. So, you know, you know we're moving along here. Oh, 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 just one other thing. It's like, yeah, we're doing this this, this, this team thing where, where Deathstroke is putting together essentially his own version of the Teen Titans, you know, and I got stupid yeah. notes again. I got stupid notes again because he's like being, he's being a real, a real, you know, jerk to the, to the team. And he's like jerking them around and, and playing tricks on them and really testing them in mean ways, like being a mean dad. And I get these notes like, well, you know, you said Deathstroke is turning over a new leaf, but he's still acting like a jerk. And I said, well, he's going in a different direction, but he's still the same guy. He's still a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, what part of Deathstroke, you know, I don't understand. You know, so whatever people are expecting about, you know, Deathstroke going straight or Deathstroke having his own superhero team, flush that out of your mind. It's going to be the most unconventional, unnice. It, it's like, you know, what I would do with the Teen Titans if they ever let me go near them, which they won't. <laughs> Ooh, you writing the Teen Titans would be really wicked. They'd never let me get away with it. They would kill me with a, a thousand cuts. Oh, they can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. Why, what? The, the te- have you met a teenager? Have any of you met a teenager? Now you've got a group of them and they've got superpowers. You know, Teen Titans has, has always due respect to the other writers. Always, always miss the boat because teenagers are the most selfish, self-centered, <laughs> you know, uh, cruel people, you know, and, and you're not dealing with real teen issues, suicide, teen pregnancy, um, you know, uh, feelings of inadequacy, bullying. None of that shows up in Teen Titans. Why? 
why? They're just not writing the book realistically enough. So I just decided to make up my own, roll my own, as it were. <laughs> wow. As a former teacher, I can totally back up everything Priest just said. <laughs> like, even though my teens were nice to me. <laughs> yeah, I've I've always yeah. joked that I've wanted a uh, an Archie that actually deals with those issues because none really has. And holy shit, if Archie was actual teenagers that dealt with real teens, it would be the most twisted, messed up book out in the market and be yeah. beyond amazing to read. Um yeah. Did, 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 did all of you did all of you have a chance to see Thirteen Reasons Why the Netflix series? I, have I haven't seen yet. it yet. I've not heard about it, it. It's amazing and it chills you to the bone. You really deal with the reality of this kind of peer pressure and, and issues surrounding teen suicide. But you know that series. If you if you watch that series, that's what the Teen Titans should be about. And the Teen Titans is never about that. It's about you know, let's fight this big villain and let's let's run here and do this and you know, and it's like okay, this is what I'm talking about. It's this heightened reality, uh, you know. But the implications of teenagers with superheroes has uh, sorry, sorry, teenagers with superpowers. Um, uh, the implications of that are so much more interesting. So Joe, when you get around to it, you know, uh, let's talk about you doing homework like again. A teenage uh, <laughs> book and do it the right way because I think I think you've got yeah. guts and I think that uh, that Lion Forge, to their credit, you know whoever whoever Joe is answering to, uh, either <laughs> Joe has like some incriminating photos of them, or they just put a lot of trust. <laughs> <in them. laughs> because I, I, they're, I, I, they're I, really letting it, they're really letting you swing out on a limb here, pal. Yeah, it's you know I don't have any photos. Of anybody, I will say that I feel like the the title that we're really going to get into, like teenagers, is going to be the superb title, yeah. which will be coming out in July, um, written by David Walker and Sheena Howard, um, penciled by Ray Anthony Height, inked by LeBeau L. Underwood, colored by Veronica Gandinian, lettered by And World Design. Had to give all those people their props. Um, I think that's where real we're really going to get into getting into what happens when teenagers get superpowers, whether they can control it and whether they can't, how do authority structures respond to that, and how do teenagers respond to each other right yeah. um, and you know I will say that one thing that we are concerned about with the catalyst prime universe is that there will be a passage of time and also that characters can die. Right. And when I think about teenagers, one thing I think about is that for them, like, it's kind of like there is no past, there is no future. It's just like today. So if my heart is broken today, I will never ever feel good again because I don't see it tomorrow. Tom- right. Today is all of today is all of reality, right? That's exactly get, right. Yeah. You know, so if that's your perspective, if today is all of reality and you are angry today and you have powers, what the hell are you going to do with that? You know, and if Superman tells oh. you it's going to get better, you're going to say, "Bullshit, Superman! It ain't getting better. 
life sucks and you don't understand <laughs> anything. Like that's what a teenager with superpowers will tell Superman. Like you don't understand uh-huh. anything, dude. So don't tell me about tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, well, you know, that, of, that's where you know, what you guys are saying. Like, like my problem with a lot of like, you know, teen focused books today is that you can tell that, you know, they don't like, like the, the book has never actually talked to a teenager, you know, or they don't know any teenagers yeah. or they, they are yeah. a lot of like modern day slang that doesn't sound right. And is used out of context. And it does, it just like, it reminds me of a, like, you know, um, that one gif where it's like, you know, that, oh, that famous actor who's like, you know, what's up kids, you know, I'm, I'm cool too. Like, yeah, yeah it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> like teenagers are, they can be volatile. Um, you know, they can be emotional, you know, it's, it's a rough time. But when I was working with kids and when I, when I was working with teenagers, um, one, they were all taller than me Two, Um, you know, they, they all, I'm not even joking. I'm four eleven. They were all taller than me. Um, you know, too, they, they wanted to be respected. Like they wanted their perspective on life to be respected, you know, and that's, that's the, that's one of the hardest things, you know, in my experience that adults struggle with is like, seeing things from a teenager's perspective, you know, or a child's perspective. They're just like, you know, oh, you don't know what life is because you're young, which is true. But also you don't know what their life is and what they're going through because a lot of teens are going through a lot of things, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's hard. Um, so it, would, it, it is, I do feel like Superb, you know, is one of those books that we're trying to work on. We're trying to give like an authentic perspective from, you know, two teenagers' point of views, like, because, Teenage books, they don't seem to address those things like peer pressure and bullying and, you know, like teenagers are figuring out their sexualities and, you know, like I, I read a teen book where all the characters are just like straight identifying and I'm just like, what? What? Have you, have yeah, you that been right there, high school? Yeah, that, right there is, that right there is ridiculous that no one is engaging in experimentation with sex. Um, come on. That's just ridiculous. So, yeah, it's like, you know, I I feel like we have a kind of freedom that we're not dealing with 50-year-old intellectual properties with these stringent rules. So with Superb, we can do things that they won't do with the Teen Titans, you know, Um, or they won't do with Champions. Or or can't do because the Teen Titans have have a TV show. Yeah, they have a TV oh. show. There's bed sheets and all that stuff. So yeah, right. you can't, you know, and, you know, okay, ah, man, now I'm going to get into another thing. You know, I just can't stand <laughs> the cyborg thing. I can't stand that no matter what reality, continuity, iteration, like cyborg still looks the same. Like there's a Star Labs, Barbara Gordon is cured and she can walk again, and, you know, Apocalypse has gone to war with Earth, and there are remnants of Apocalyptian technology all over the place. There's Argus, but Cyborg, yeah, he looks exactly the same, you know? (laughs) It's like, come on, man, really? Like, really? I'm supposed to buy that? Come on, well, this All right, is actually I'm kind of, on DC. 
<laughs> I would say we have to get our hands on We're going to stop. <laughs> we're going to stop. But I buy Deathstroke. Does that does that count? Yes. I don't know. Okay. We'll I like that stuff. Well, it actually kind of goes into a question we had from Twitter, um, which is something I wanted to ask. And we, we kind of talked about these great ideas, but how long did it take you to actually construct this this universe? And like, were there actually any obstacles while doing so? Hmm. Well, so I mean, for me, like, I really hit the ground running. I started working. As a senior editor at Lion Forge, June 30th, 2016, and I hit the ground running on getting together the writers. We had the writers retreat in early August of 2016, and after that meeting, I basically put together, um, with Desiree's help, the Catalyst Prime Bible, or the first um, version of it, which... I think at that time was maybe 50 pages, but is now about 85 pages. Um, so I would say it took about, I would say it took about maybe five months, and that involved a lot of conversations with the talent. That involved a number of conversations with the CEO of the company, David Stewart II, with the president, Jeff Gerber, with um, the chief creative officer, Carl Reed. Um, so there would be clarity on what our approaches are to characters, to the world, and what our goals were. Um, so I would say six months, but the Catalyst Prime universe continues to grow. So we're only just at the beginning. Um, we have... At the writer's retreat, we mapped out two years, and then we're going to do another writer's retreat, and we're going to really nail down years three and four, because we know, we know in a basic sense what years three and four are about, but we're really going to get deep in the weeds with it, because there's, there's a macro story that is encapsulating all of the micro stories. Um, so six months for the first process, but it's a continuing process, you know, um, just the way you wake up one morning and something significant has happened that alters the direction of your nation or people who come from the same, um, you know, community as yourself. Catalyst Prime goes through the same things and you don't always have all the answers. Sometimes an answer just comes upon you. Um, Desiree and Priest and I and Brandon Thomas and Amy Chu had a series of discussions in different pieces about um, Lorena Payan's sexuality or sexual preferences, for example. And that's something that we're going to get into and we're going to define it. But you don't always have all of the answers in the beginning. Sometimes you just get a revelation and you say, you know, that makes perfect sense. And then you discuss it with other people because as a senior editor, you know, while I'm responsible for maintaining the integrity and the intention of the Catalyst Prime universe, I can't be arrogant enough to exist in the echo chamber of my own opinions. 
So I'll talk with the other talent and say, hey, what do you think of this? You know, and, 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 that's, how, and that's how interesting discussions come into play. Mm-hmm. There was a, um, a, another was a question. Well, go ahead, Alana. You know, there's a question that sort of has been hinted at around here, which is, who is the readership for this in terms of like the age range? I mean, when I was a kid, all I read was adult stuff. Like that was my religion was to never do anything for kids or read anything for kids. So my perception of what that audience is is skewed. But um, you know, when you're launching this new superhero universe, and it definitely has specific sort of more realistic and science-oriented tinge to it, but you want it to be open to a lot of people. Like, I'm not talking about, like, the is it rated PG or is it rated R? I mean, like, what is the age range of people who are going to be comprehending these stories in different, you know, you have different titles with different writers, but I wasn't sure if you could sort of spell that out a bit for folks who are looking at buying the series for young people and things like that. Oh, absolutely. If you look at the cover of Noble Number 1, which is the first book that came out, um, it has a clear rating that says 13 and up. And um, retailers have told me that they really appreciate that so that they know what age range they can and cannot recommend it to. Um, During Free Comic Book Day on Saturday, May 6th, when Will Rosado who's one of the artists for the Catalyst Prime, the event one shot, and I were doing some store signings of the book. We showed some pages to parents. And we, or we would say, hey, read this first before you give it to your kid and just be sure, you know. So we have it right on the covers, um, ages 13 and up. And... As an editor, um, and I imagine the writers believe this as well, you know, and this speaks to teenagers and what we were talking about, the worst thing you can do is assume that teenagers are unintelligent and can't grasp complex concepts. So when I was, I think I was 10, I remember reading Chris Claremont and John Byrne X-Men, you know, and there was stuff going on in there I could get, and there was stuff going on in there that I would only learn about later um, in terms of sex, in terms of the Hellfire Club, and what happens when you mix wealth and privilege with a dominatrix society and stuff like that. Um, but the thing is, you know, reading... Chris Claremont's X-Men did not, um, like, twist my head around or turn me into a sociopath (laughs) or anything like that. And, you know, if there was something that I didn't understand, like a concept, you know, when you're dealing with Marvel Comics, you read about things like cosmic rays, unstable molecules, you know, you read the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, and you're like, what, what, what? You know, you go look it up. You go to a dictionary, you look it up, or nowadays you go to your computer and look it up. So if a book like Catalyst Prime, the event, gets like a 13-year-old to go to their computer and learn about some things, learn about the years that women did amazing things in space, um, learn what non-binary means, learn about Chiapas, Mexico, I'm, I'm thrilled at that prospect. 
you know? Christopher, you know, cool. you're able you're able to start everything from from scratch and you're not coming into like uh properties that have have years behind them. For you as a creator, like how how freeing is that and and you know, what does that mean to you? Oh, uh, hang on a second, guys. <laughs> Sorry, I was moving my car. Um it's 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 exceptionally free. You know, I mean, I think you, any writer that uh you know, doesn't have to like assemble a jigsaw puzzle of of continuity in order to do his job. I mean, that's that's you know, you know, that's 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 the, that's, a, that's the best. That's the thing you get. The best thing you can hope for. Um, beyond that, what I'm used to doing, obviously, is coming in and seeing what's already been done uh, and how to do my thing without uh, erasing or or uh, uh, you know, uh, or, or saying that the other things didn't happen. Okay, what's going on there? Who's I got think Des has a cat. Des, is that your cat? That's not my cat. <laughs> Who's got a cat? Does that my cat, cat want to be interviewed? That was, that was Rocket. That was Rocket. I'm oh. throwing him in another room with some food. <laughs> are, are you gonna Are you gonna tweet us pictures of Rocket? Absolutely. Okay, I want to totally do that. Seriously, I love cats. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, so we you had another question from a listener. Go for it. Yeah. So we we have another question from someone for Twitter, and it's for Joe and Christopher. Like, what advice would you give an aspiring writer that's a freshman in college? Oh, um, make friends who are actually in the business. <laughs> um, you know, mm. I I think it's you know it's a lot easier for artists to get recognized because you know uh, they they send their work in and and somebody looks at it and either like it or they don't. Uh, for writers, somebody has to take the time to sit down and read this, and in order to evaluate your work, uh, the person reading it has to have a certain level of education. It doesn't mean that they have to be a, a great writer themselves. But they have to know what great writing looks like and what great writing reads like, um, and those people are, are becoming fewer and fewer in the business. Uh, and also because the major houses are doing such a high volume business, nobody has the time to read scripts, so it's very hard for a writer to break in. Um, mm. Somebody was talking to me about uh, you know it being hard for you know a black writer or a female writer or whatever it's hard for any writer to break in because you know you, you, you got to find somebody that's willing to read your story and then you have to hope that they know what they're looking at um so it's 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 i hate to be discouraging but you know if i was going to talk to somebody who was thinking about writing for a living man write novels write screenplays write television you know these are much bigger uh, industries with much greater opportunity. They're still very tough to break into. Self-publish, you know, that's another way to go. Uh, you know, to, you know, to sort of, you know, get your, you know, to get get some experience and so forth. Um, but it's 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 really 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 hard uh, for writers to you know to break in. Now DC does have some sort of program, a new talent program that 
uh, that, that people can apply for. Uh, I don't know if Marvel has the same idea, but there is sort of an avenue in uh, at DC. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but, you know, that's something that's worth looking into. Mm, wow. I think my advice would be, you know, kind of similar to Priest in a way in terms of connecting with people in the business. I would say I would really encourage internships um, at different companies that you're interested in their content so you can understand the obst- so you can understand the industry and so you can understand the obstacles that you'll have to go through. I'm not saying like get an internship at Marvel and pitch like the Hulk. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying get an internship at a company, see how that company works, leave and then, you know, if you decide, you know, you still want to continue with this, okay, at least at least you've seen the dynamics of the business at one company. Um, that's why I would advocate, you know, maybe doing internships at at least two so you can get some different perspectives. Um, learn about and, and just learn about it. You know, writing on a regular basis is a given, you know, and – that's just something that you should be doing naturally if you really want that career seriously. And, you know, there are, there are different kinds of writing. Um, you know, there's writing fictional stories. There's writing columns. You know, I think, I feel like all forms of writing require a narrative. They kind of go by the same rules, you know, building to crescendos and engaging readers you know, when you read uh, a column in the Atlantic by Ta-Nehisi Coates, that's, that's an engaging narrative, you know. Um, so it's all narrative, and it's important for you to understand the business that you're getting into because, quite frankly, corporations don't care about your dreams, Corporations care about making money. And when you look at a number of successful writers, they have presented uh, they've presented a tenacity, um, a discipline, and a capacity to work within a company's needs and prove themselves to be valuable so that the company rewards that by giving them more opportunities, right? So, you know, you look at a character like Daredevil, you know, some of the most, some of the most amazing Daredevil runs came from a time when that book might have been on the chopping block. Frank Miller took over Daredevil when it was basically one foot in the grave, and he turned that character around forever. You know, Brian, Brian Michael Bendis' run. I do not believe Daredevil was a top seller at the time because Kevin Smith did his run. And then after that, I feel like it was like maybe David Mack or Joe Quesada, something like that. You know, there was a sales dip. So Bendis got this book when the sales were dipping 
and that gave him an opportunity, which the company allowed to really like go for it, you know, and if you get an opportunity to write something, I would say write it like it's your last day on earth, like write it like you mean it, like forget timidity, um, don't think yourself out of anything, you know, write like you mean it. You know, like people, I'll talk to people about like a writer like Ed Brubaker, and Ed Brubaker is amazing, but my favorite thing by him is an old thing he did for Wildstorm called Sleeper. Cause yes, I know that one. That's a great yeah, one. Yeah, there's just something about Sleeper that, to, that for me personally, this is, of course, a totally objective point of view, but I, I feel like it had like a grit and a ferocity that later works didn't have, and that's still an inspiration to me. So, you know, just write like you mean it, man. Well, um, one of the, uh, the the things that I've been thinking about when as I've been promoting this, this episode was whether or not you guys wanted us to talk about the series in terms of, not just a series, but the Catalyst Project, uh, you know, being a superhero universe that is being helmed by people of color and populated by characters of color, uh, you know, to me, that, that's a selling point. And to huge audiences, that's a selling point. But frequently, people who are creating characters of color worry that if things are just seen as, like, oh, this is just for black characters, they don't think that they're going to attract, you know, the market share or that some people might reject that because they're racist assholes. Um, and I, I, so I wasn't really sure which way to talk, if, if you guys would be receptive to me promoting it in that way. Because to me, like, and for the audience that I speak to, this is a plus side. Um, so I wasn't sure if you guys were, like, leading with that. Because, uh, you know, I mean, because prior to this, there was Milestone. And, like, that was it. Um, you know, to, to this being a people of color-led new superhero universe as like being part of what makes it newsworthy and why it needs to happen and, and worthy of support in addition to the quality of the work itself, which obviously has to be there or else it will fail. And this succeeded in terms of, you know, the launch that you guys have had. But um, I, I wasn't sure if you guys wanted us to be talking about that. But I felt like no, I, I mean, because I no, yeah. Yeah. We got to We got to talk about it. Well, you know, the, the thrust of Catalyst Prime is quality and consistency. Diversity and inclusion is inherent, right? So that's kind of like, you know, like if the sun was alive and the sun, like, go, go into everyone saying, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot. It's like, it's like if you look at the creator lineup of Catalyst Prime, if you look at the staff lineup of Lion Forge, if you look at the universe – I don't have to say diversity. It's clear. <laughs> you know, the Catalyst Prime writer's room, the Catalyst Prime creator pool is not one of those snapshots in this industry of a group of 20 people who are all white or a group of 20 people and or 17 of them are men. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like, and if people are thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is just a POC universe, then I would say, do you know Joe Casey? Do you know Alex DeCampi? Do you know Roger Robinson? You know, it's like, come on, like, 
part of inclusion is including everybody. It's not excluding white people. It's not no white characters. Yeah. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know, we have Kino, um, white British male. We have Astonisher, white um, um, Astonisher's Thai American. Actually, he's biracial. We have Incidentals. The leader of Incidentals is white. So, you know, our variety in our content and in our perspectives, it's intrinsic from the business end to the conceptual end to the creative end. And that extends to the editorial department. You know, one of the reasons that Desiree and I can bring a more well-rounded perspective is because we're different in a number of ways. You know, if you're just dealing with someone who is exactly like you, then you're basically, like, going to have a Tomax and Zaymod effect from G.I. Joe, which is basically, like, <laughs> the same, you know, like, two of the same people going, yes, brother, I agree, yes, 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 that's brilliant, <laughs> you know? So you've got you've to gotta get That's a good impression. You know, uh, you know yeah. I, I, I have my moments. So you have to have different perspectives. That is a prerequisite into creating a universe that reflects our nation and our world. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's part of the identity of the company and the Catalyst Prime superhero universe, but that's not the thrust. We're not saying buy us because we're diverse. We're saying, you know what, buy us because we're good and quite frankly, there's a bunch of you out there who have been asking for something through your loyalty for years. You have earned this. You should have been given this some time ago. And the fact that it's taken so long to give it to you is a failing of this industry. And that failing so, ends now. Well, uh, from, my, from my perspective, uh, I don't really think about it at all. Um, I don't think about it in the way I don't think about, you know, uh, is Apple computer diverse or is, you know, uh, uh, is uh, uh, Google diverse or, or whatever. I, I don't really think about it. Um, I kind of accept it as a given. Um, I don't think what's unique about uh, Lionforge is the diversity of the staff or even the diversity of the creative talent. Um, I think what's unique about it is uh, they're producing content that um, will appeal uh, across the spectrum. In other words, th there's really no point in having, you know, a, you know, in emphasizing diversity. You're just going to sell to five people, you know, uh, when a uh, allegedly multicultural or even a quote unquote black company can uh uh can sell uh to uh broadly broadly across mainstream audiences now that's an achievement and that's something that's certainly worth uh noting it it's you know uh, it, it's like dr dre doing uh, the beats headphones right you know um <laughs> who buys beats he's not just selling beats headphones to black people you see what i'm saying so it's that's not it. enough to be in a, a diverse company you know, you have to be a diverse company that, that that's that's doing good work and that's putting out 
uh, a product that has mass appeal. Um, so I don't really think of, think about it. I, I hope we're not just selling to Latinos or just selling to blacks. I hope, I hope you know, Catalyst Prime will appeal, you know, broadly uh, to a wide audience. Yeah, to, like, add a little bit to what they already said, which was amazing. Um, you know, we're just, we're trying to reflect reality. And, you know, the fact of reality is that you know, there's a lot of, people you know people are you know diverse in and of themselves and there's a lot of communities that just don't feel represented but diversity isn't a headline I think that's what gets me the most like with current comics like they treat diversity like it's a trend you know like they get a headline on entertainment weekly or in variety or something like that and then you know the book gets canceled three issues in you know, or nine issues in or what have you you know before the first trade comes out yeah (laughs) like it shows a, a lack of caring to me and it shows a lack of, you know, like investment, you know, you're, you're treating it more like a token, like a headline to get like a quick high number one sale, you know, and for like for Catalyst Prime, you know, we have all these characters and they're not, it's not diversity for the sake of diversity. It's, it's legitimate. You know, they're all characters like Lorena is, Oh yes, she's a Mexican woman, and you know yes, we consciously you know made the choice like she was going to be brown, like she wasn't going to look like the mainstream you know light skinned blue eyed Latina, um, but she's a character like she's not the Mexican like Luther woman, you know she's her own character, she has her own backstory, she has her own complexities, and those are things that readers are going to see and they're going to feel when they read about her when they read the one shot or read the other books that she's in. So same with Noble that just came out, um, you know, with, with Astrid and David, like they're black, but they're also characters. You know, they're not the black Superman or something like that. They are themselves. They are characters with backstories and personalities and going through things that make them interesting, you know? So for us, like, and Joe's, talk to me and again I'm, I learned so much from him um it's all organic like it's developed organically like we don't have all the answers as he said before these characters develop and new layers are added to them you know so yeah it's not we're not doing it for a headline you know we're not trying to make the papers we're doing it because this is the world we're reflecting reality you know i mean with superpowers but still reality For each of you, I mean, you're, you're doing something and, and delivering something that, frankly, isn't being done by anyone else. Um, for all of you, like, how does it feel personally to be able to do this, to, to really give – I don't want to say diversity, but, you know, but face it, like, we're seeing diverse characters and diverse char- uh, histories and locations and in a reflection of the real world. Like, for each of you, how does that actually feel to you of, of seeing this out there and – and all this hard work, you know, hitting the page and, and shelves. Well, uh, you know, I'll go first because I, I don't have that much to say. You know, I mean, I think uh, uh, certainly it, it, it's a wonderful thing, um, uh, but you know, I, you know, I just feel like I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of just a visitor, and I'm kind, of, you know, kind of, you know, playing with their playing with their toys uh, a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, 
you know, it's 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 certainly it's just very different. It, it, it's uh, it, there's really no pressure to uh, to make these things overly fantastical or uh, you know overly appealing to you know to hardcore fans. Um, you know, I think you know uh, you know. However, the the the, the, the uh, happens whatever success that they find. Um, uh, the Catalyst Prime thing is certainly a worthy experiment because uh, they are doing something different and they are, uh, you know, taking risks and, um, you know, kind of redefining norms. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the two big companies, they've been selling the same comics to the same readers since they were 12 years old. They've been selling comics to me since I was eight years old. Um uh, you know, uh, I'm certainly ready for something different and something new. Um, and I think that the Catalyst Prime kind of proves that uh, there is something different and there is something new out there. Yeah, you know, to follow up on what Priso, you know, kindly said, um, for me, so there are a number of things, right? Number one is... Um, you know, being the senior editor of the line, having been given the opportunity by Lion Forge to do it, um, I feel honored. I feel like, in a way, I am paying forward the 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 um, the visualization of possibility that was shown to me by Dwayne McDuffie, um, Dennis Cowan. Derek Dingle and Michael Davis and through his initial contributions priest that I saw what was possible and that level of possibility has been gone for a while and um, I'm honored to be able to help bring it back and you know I'm really um, touched by the positive reviews and responses that we have received from the fans and the retailer community and the journalists and reviewers on Catalyst Prime, the event, and Noble, number one, because, I mean, we all know that in this industry, people can pull out their knives and they will dismember you, man. If your book is not up to snuff, you are toast. And... As far as I can tell, the response has been really unanimous that people really like this introduction to this world and they want to go on for the ride. They want to see the rest of it. And so, you know, when I say this is the year of Catalyst Prime, like that's not hyperbole. We are going to be dropping, you know, a new title almost every month for the rest of the year. And by the time you get to Christmas, you will see the breadth of the line and you will see all the characters. And um, I think it's going to be exciting. And I think people are going to just really care about these characters and their stories. You know, I kind of equate myself to a babysitter in a sense. I'm not a parent because I didn't really come up with these characters, but I'm a caretaker. And so I'm not going to choose any favorite children. I love all of them equally. I do think there are certain characters 
that are going to particularly connect with people. I'm very proud of how Summit is coming along, um, which is the title that will be done by Amy Chu, Jan Dersima, um, and World Design, and Kelly Fitzpatrick, which has a queer female lead and is going to really be a story about, you know, what happens when you're knocked to the bottom and you have to climb your way back up. And that's something that I think anyone can identify with. You know what I mean? So um, so I see it as a serious responsibility and and we're going to follow through with it. Um, for me, I'm just, I just, I feel very, very lucky. Um, cause you know, I'm, I'm a newbie. Um, this is my first, you know, job basically of, you know, acting as anything editorial, you know, for any kind of comic publisher. Um, so I'm just like super grateful that Joe, uh, you know, thought of me and thought that I would be good. Um, that was actually something I told him in, in our call because I wanted to be honest. I was like, I don't have any experience working in editorial. Um, so, but I learn something every, every every day. So, and that's that's fantastic. Um, so I just, I think people are responding really positively. I, I work at a comic shop too, as and I, I run their social media, so I get to see how people are responding like directly, you know, and like see people buying these books or grabbing them, you know, on free comic book day was amazing. And getting to tell them, you know, like, yes, this is, this is new. You know, this is the starting point for some, for something big, um, has been just super fulfilling. Um, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to resonate, you know, like there are characters and stories that are just going to resonate with people and I'm just really, really grateful that, like, I've gotten this opportunity to be here at the start and to hit the ground running and uh, to, to help in any way I can to just continue to help it grow and flourish. Speaking of growing and flourishing, um, what can those of us who are excited about the comics and want to see them be successful to, and what are you guys doing to make sure that folks who aren't already in the comics reader community uh, know about the series and how to get it? Because we can be a lot yeah, of insular, and a lot of publishers have terrible, do a terrible job of letting anyone who's not in the fandoms know. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a really good question because it is a problem in our industry. So <clears throat> I'll tell you a few things that we're doing. So number one, with our superb title, um, in which one of the two main characters, um, Jonah Watkins, a.k.a. Cosmosis, is a character with Down syndrome. So Lion Forge has partnered with the National Down Syndrome Society to be able to work together to take, you know, this superhero fiction and help bring attention to real people with Down syndrome and to, you know, um, galvanize, to galvanize a discussion about the fact that I think a lot of people look at so-called disabled people and think that they're not able at all. 
and that's a serious misconception and a hurdle we have to get over. So working with the National Down Syndrome Society is going to be a way to um, expand and engage a narrative of better understanding. So that's one thing that we're doing. Another thing is just as a company, we're really doing a lot of outreach. Um, Devin Flinches, who's our head of sales and marketing, um, Cindy Barwick, who's our director of merchandising and licensing, um, Steens, Christina Steen Stewart, who's our social media and community manager. Um, you know, they work tirelessly to get the word out about Catalyst Prime and Lion Forge as a whole. Um, David Stewart II, who's a managing member and CEO, is someone who is a strong believer in philanthropy. Uh, Jeff Gerber, the president of the company, is a social advocate. And so we are looking to get word of the books out beyond the comic book stores, and that's why you saw write-ups in Entertainment Weekly, Hollywood Reporter, Sci-Fi Magazine. Um, we're going to make sure that they're digitally available so that if your neighborhood is a comic book store desert and there's not a comic book store for 200 miles, you have technology, you will be able to get the book. And, you know, this is just the beginning. One thing that we also do is we hand out pre-order cards on social media so that you can take that to your retailer and order the book. And social media is full of people who don't even read comic books, but a number of um, people who aren't, you know, like Wednesday Warriors who aren't necessarily going to the comic book stores every Wednesday because they're not deeply into the culture, they can see our pre-order cards. And I try to really talk about universal themes in our comic books. So Desiree was talking about Noble, and in Noble, the main hero is a man, but an equally formidable person is his wife as readers of Noble Number One will learn. And so you have this black woman who's a wife, a mother, and is dangerous as all get out. And I'm really talking to black women about that because, you know, a lot of them are just being introduced to black superheroes I would say through the Luke Cage television show. I mean, we're not going to count the X-Men franchise because what they've done to Storm is a disgrace. But so they're finding out about Misty Knight through Luke Cage. You know, okay, what else is there? And there's not that much else. And when Misty Knight is in a comic book that gets canceled after the second issue comes out and you find out there's only going to be six issues, that means in seven months, well, well, where am I in this superhero universe? And so, you know, I'm speaking to them and saying, we have someone here that represents you or that represents your sister or that represents the kind of character integrity that you see in your mother. 
So, you know, we're definitely committed to um, getting word out in the industry and outside of the industry because the stories that we're telling here are grounded with universal themes. I could uh, tell someone was about to say something, but but I was very very impressed with with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was telling a lot of like I I was impressed that Line Forge is one of the only companies I've ever seen in a big box store. There was there is just you know two uh, or you know, one other publisher I can think of. The the Voltron comic was right there with the Voltron toys on display, which is like blew my mind and felt so fresh and new and smart, like really smart. And they were pretty much sold out at every store I went to. Yeah, thank you. I mean, you know, that's that's one of the ways in which we're going to engage, you know, the synergistic relationship between um, different types of product that connect to our books. You know, Voltron has been, you know, a successful license for us as someone who grew up on Voltron I love seeing that franchise re-energized. I'm happy that, you know, I'm working at the publisher that is basically doing the Voltron comics now because that character has gone through its ups and downs. Interestingly enough, and not coincidentally, the last time I liked Voltron, it was written by one Brandon Thomas, who is the writer of our Noble series. And... I followed his writing for years. Um, he's a friend, but I didn't hire him because he's a friend. I hired him because he is amazingly talented. And quite frankly, he should have been writing a superhero comic book a long time ago. But due to the inequities of the industry, that did not come to pass. So I'm glad it comes to pass with us. Um, and part of that is because of the way he does character. When he did... Voltron before he treated it as science fiction and and intrigue and the characters had relationships. Keith and Allura had sex and I was like, Hey, this is Voltron to me. <laughs> you know, that's that's real. Okay. There's a there's a bed scene, that's real. You know, because if you're talking about a group of people who are constantly fighting and they're in war and you know they're escaping death time and time again come on one of the releases is going to be some nuggie that's just straight up you know so i was like yeah that's what i'm talking about right there so that kind of naturalistic approach to character is why i asked him to write noble and you know again the response that we've gotten is a testament to the quality of that book. One of the uh, one of the questions we got on Twitter that you know kind of fits into the whole marketing aspect of it is what uh, what conventions do you know that you'll be out uh, be at this year that folks can come see you all at? Definitely San Diego Comic Con. Definitely New York Comic Con. I believe we'll be at the Baltimore Comic Con. Um, I am not qualified to answer all the conventions that will be at. Yeah. That's really more um, Devin Kunches. I was about to say, that might be the most difficult in marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, definitely I'm going to be going to more 
than I have been historically. I think it's important to get the word out about Catalyst Prime. I think it's important to meet more talent, to meet more creators out there, and to engage the creators and to engage the fans face-to-face instead of, you know, almost exclusively across social media. So, you know, I think our convention presence is going to grow because Lion Forge as a company is growing significantly and Catalyst Prime is just one imprint of the total Lion Forge publishing slate, um, which is really going to speak to comics for everyone. Uh, so you've mentioned a whole bunch of uh, some of the more series that are going to be coming out, um, Superb being one of them. Uh, what else for people who are listening and are just learning about Catalyst Prime, what else can they expect in the coming months uh, as you kind of wrap up for the for the year? You go into that year. Okay, Sorry. well, so I'll tell you one thing that I will do right now is – Let's see if I can do this so this can time with the listeners. Well, what I'll do is after this, I'll tweet out what is the Catalyst Prime um, release schedule for this year. So basically, this month was the premiere of the Noble series um, by Brandon Thomas, Roger Robinson, Saida Temofante, and Juan Fernandez. Next month, June, will be Excel. So that's by Joe Casey, Damian Scott, Robert Campanella, Janice Chang, and Sigmund Torre. July will be superb, um, which I mentioned earlier in the discussion. David Walker, Sheena Howard, Ray Anthony Hype, LeBeau L. Underwood, Ann World Design, and Veronica Gandini. And that's going to be our team duo book and Excel is our speedster's book, the Mexican-American speedster we talked about earlier, Daniel Dos Santos. And August is going to be the introduction of our team book, Incidentals, by Joe Casey, Ramon Govea, Larry Stroman, Rob Stull, Snakebite Cortez, and Saida Temofante. And then that'll be the end of phase one of the Catalyst Prime release. And then September will take a break from number ones and give people a chance to exhale. And then in October, we ramp up again with Astonisher, and that's by Alex DeCampi, Popmon, and World Design, and Jessica Colleen. And November is Kino, and that's by Joe Casey, Hefte Palo, Todd Klein, and Chris Sotomayor. And then December... December is the last one. That's Summit. That's the final of the seven monthly titles. And that's, again, Amy Chu, Jan Dersima, and World Design, and Kelly Fitzpatrick. And so that will be all of the introductions. So when we start in 2018, we'll be putting out seven monthly titles. Impressive. Very impressive. I can't uh-huh. wait to read all of them. Um, thank you, thank well, you. Yeah, yeah, I've worked with them long enough that I, I better know the teams. <laughs> that was impressive. Thank you. Um, so kind of as we, you know, begin to kind of wrap up the show, and we've had you for so long, kind of final thoughts from each uh, each of you about 
Catalyst Prime and what does it mean? Priest, you want to go? Oh, you yeah, me? Go. Yeah, you go. You're the you're the elder of the group. You go first. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, uh, you know, certainly, Cat, certainly Catalyst Prime represents uh, um, a uh, uh, a real alternative to um, you know to to what's become kind of routine business as usual superheroes. Um, you know, where where we just kind of keep retconning the universe every few years and um and still kind of end up with a sort of formulaic uh you know, sameness that kind of runs across the industry. Um uh the books are really worth a look because uh they're all coming from a very different place. And um uh I think one of the things that I was concerned about with uh, even with the, the one shot was it was difficult to describe the plot because at face value it sounds, you know, uh, sounds like something you might have read before or films you might have seen before. Oh, it's an asteroid coming to destroy the Earth, you know. And what's unique and different about it are the things we can't really talk about without giving away the store. So, uh, you know, that that would probably be my, you know, uh, advice to people who are kind of, sampling or looking in, you know, at, at the new launches is that um, don't assume anything because this is, uh, this is very different and um, it has a really unique uh, approach and a unique vision. And, uh, you know, certainly thank Joe and, and, uh, and his people for that. And, and, you know, and all the creators that have worked so hard to bring these properties to life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, wow, what does it mean to me? I mean, ultimately, what it means is I feel like I feel like I'm following through on the kind of things that I've been talking about for years that the industry needs, and you know, I've written columns where I have been, you know, very upfront about analyses of the practices and the publishing palettes of the two major titans in the business in America and in the genre. And I feel like what we're developing here is a line of books that is the criticism that is the statement that this genre is not done by a long shot. And I remember last year, there were so many people, and I mean, some of them were luminaries in this business, and they were talking about this genre as if it's responsible for the degradation of the industry and the medium. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, I had given up on DC Comics for a while, and then someone gave me this amazing book called DC The New Frontier. And it reminded me what a beautiful place the DC universe is. When I think about the editorial cultures and philosophies by people like Dwayne McDuffie and Dennis O'Neill and Karen Berger, 
Um, I know there's still a lot of possibility in this genre and in this industry for giving creators opportunities for developing an editorial culture that nurtures creativity and invites outside-of-the-box thinking and creating books that people can just really get into and not necessarily be depressed, not necessarily see violence for the sake of violence and things like that, and just really get to um, resonating stories about human drama magnified by the convention of super abilities. So to me, Catalyst Prime, you know, it really speaks to its name. Um, it's going to be an agent of accelerating positivity in comics. That is my hope. That's what we're working towards. What about you, Desiree? Um, oh, gosh, how do I follow that up? Um, I, I would say that, you know, it, it's, it's like re- revitalization. Um, you know, because Cape Comics, they, they feel stagnant because, you know, that there are so many retcons and there's so many number one releases and there's like $10 books and five Deadpool titles out at once. And it's just, it feels bogged down. And the books that, you know, are trying to tell interesting new stories kind of get drowned out in the noise. And you know, what, we're tr- what, we're, what we're trying to do at Catalyst Prime, what I think, you know, for sure we're accomplishing is to revitalize, like, the potential, you know, that possibility, that creativity that still exists, and to tell those stories that feel sincere, um, you know, about characters and, you know, people within, like, a, a high sci-fi, you know, world. And it's not, it's not platitudes, like, like we were speaking about earlier, you know, when we're talking about consistency in skin color or consistency in, you know, or building like fashion PowerPoints and things. It's, it's to build characters down to, you know, a fundamental level because people dress certain ways, you know, from their hairstyle to, to wearing jewelry or no jewelry or things like that, you know, like fans notice these things. And they're going to call you out on it. And, and rightfully, you know, because it's, it's frustrating when you're a fan of something and it feels like that, that medium doesn't respect you as a fan or your intelligence as a, as a fan. Um, and, you know, I definitely think we respect our readers. Um, you know, we respect their intelligence. And, you know, we respect the universe that we're building and the characters that we're building. So I think it's, it's that sincerity that's making us, you know, that's going to make us stand out. You know, where we really put thought and into what we're doing. And, you know, I mean, I did a bunch of research on like space stations. I don't know anything about space stations, but I did the research because it was important. You know, it was relevant to what we were doing. And just those seemingly small things are all put together to make the bigger picture, to make the bigger universe work. Um, so yeah, for, for me, like Catalyst Prime is like that, that sincerity, that revitalization of what comics can be and should be. Very nice. And on that note, uh, we're going to begin wrapping up the show. We're at the two hour mark, which is 
awesome, and thanks so much for, for staying with us and chatting all this time. Uh, before we go, we always like to ask guests to basically pitch themselves and uh, let our audience know where they can be found uh, online or you know any projects they want to work on. So I'm thinking we'll go uh, Christopher, then Desiree, then wrap up with Joe. Um, yeah, well, oh, oh, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not much of a social media guy, so you're not going to find me on social media, but, um, you can always find me at ChristopherPriest.com, uh, where my website is, um, obviously I'm still working on Deathstroke, um, uh, and, uh, uh in the fall we'll be, uh, launching, um, an Inhumans book for Marvel, uh, which is kind of like, uh, if you saw the film X-Men first class, we're doing that with the, uh, with the inhumans. So it's like the inhumans when they were teenagers and, you know, sort of doing that inhumans year one, uh, thing for Marvel. Um, there's a project coming up with catalyst prime that we can't announce yet. That's, 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 uh, that'll be next year. Um, and then, uh, some other stuff that I can't talk about <laughs> because it hasn't been announced yet, but, uh, you know, but that's, uh, that's where we're headed. Uh, there's a, uh, 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 Teen Titans graph, uh, Teen Titans annual that's coming out. There's a big crossover event at DC with uh, with the Titans and Deathstroke. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm writing the annual this year. So that that will be coming out shortly. And uh, uh, I think that's about it. Thanks for uh, inviting me for the chat. Uh, I had a great time, and everybody take care. Yep. Thank you so much. Desiree, where, where um, can people find you? People can find me um, on all my social media platforms at uh, latinasmediamusings.com um, or on Twitter at Borica, uh Desiree. Um, and I have some <laughs> essays uh, for nerds um, of color in the pipeline um, and some things that I'm going to pitch to women write about comics soon. Um, Elena, I promise I'm going to write something for graphic policy one day. It's, it's going to happen. I have a pitch. Yay. I just have to work on it. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, working for, uh, for Lionforge, for Catalyst Prime, um, you know, that. And uh, the next convention I'm trying desperately to go to is FlameCon. So cross your fingers for that. Woo, we need you. Nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. We got a minute. What about you, Joe? Okay, I'll try to make it quick. Um, you can find me on Facebook as Joe Illage, on Twitter as Joseph P. Illage, on Instagram at Illmaster1, and I'll be at the San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con this year, and I will try to make it to Baltimore Comic-Con. Yes, hopefully I'll see you in Baltimore. Alana, where can people find you? On Twitter all the time at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Got a big tweet chat coming up May 24th about Steven Universe. Excellent. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. You'll be able to catch this on demand on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and, of course, Graphic Policy. Thanks so much for all our guests. You can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, all at Graphic Policy. Until next time, thanks so much, and keep it geeky.